Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about what Pastor Jennifer just led us in and what we just sang a few moments ago. We're going to be also talking about, have a little bit of fun here to start, talking about the daredevil of Niagara Falls, some tightrope walking, the Jewish law, and faith as the badge of belonging to the newly forming Jesus communities. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. May we feast on your word today. May you use this time not only to draw us closer to you, but to invite us into greater faithfulness, a greater faithfulness that helps move us toward our neighbor in a more perfect love. Amen. When my brother and I were kids, our parents took us on one of the most memorable vacation experiences ever to Niagara Falls. At first thought, I probably would have picked an amusement park that had rides or a wild animal safari, not a waterfall. (laughs) But when we got there, we couldn't believe our eyes. It was without a doubt the most amazing thing that my brother and I, when we were kids, had ever seen. We had some fun touring the scary wax museum, but what really got our attention was all the crazy stuff that people do at Niagara Falls. We became totally captivated by the stories of people going over the falls in a barrel, but none of the stories were better than the story of Charles Blondin, the daredevil of Niagara Falls. There he is on your screen. During the winter of 1858, 34-year-old French acrobat and pretty much all-around lunatic, Jean-Francois Gravier, better known as Charles Blondin, traveled to Niagara Falls hoping to become the first person ever to cross it. Blondin always worked without a net because he said that preparing for disaster only made one more likely to occur. (laughs) Just take that in for a moment. (laughs) A 1,300-foot, two-inch hemp rope was the only thing separating him from a pretty violent death. His own manager said that if he had been born a century or two earlier, he would have been treated as one possessed by the devil. He reveled in his morbid appeal to the masses. He thrived when gamblers all bet against him, saying that he would surely plunge into the icy waters below. And on June 30th, 1859, 25,000 thrill seekers came to witness this spectacle. On the American side, the rope was tied around the trunk of an old tree. And on the Canadian side to a rock, not exactly super safe. The judges and experts, in fact, that examined the rope proclaimed that what he was attempting was impossible. With a 26-foot balancing pole, he began his slow walk as children clung to their mother's legs, (laughs) 
Women peeked from behind their parasols. Some people, witnesses say, even fainted. When Blondin got halfway across, he cast a line down to a boat below, which attached a bottle of wine and sent it back up. He drank and then he continued on his way. Not everyone appreciated his feat. Some said he was fake news, that there was no such person in the world. Mark Twain even called him an adventurous ass. So Blondin, to prove himself, began crossing Niagara Falls with even greater risk. Halfway across one time, he laid down, flipped himself over, and then walked backwards, taking a sip from his flask. Another time, he pushed a wheelbarrow across, and then another, he did it blindfolded. But his crowning achievement came when he carried a person on his back. You must be wondering how any of this is relevant, but just hang in there and enjoy the moment. Can you imagine being the person who volunteered to ride on his back on a two-inch tightrope across Niagara Falls with no safety net? Was this faith? Was it foolishness or some combination of the two that propelled this person to agree to participate in this crazy endeavor. Blondin's instructions to the volunteer were simply this. He said, look up. You are no longer you. You are Blondin. Until we get to the other side, you are a part of me, mind, body, and soul. So do not attempt to balance yourself because if you do, both of us will fall to our deaths. The Apostle Paul will surprisingly say something very similar to the Galatian Christians, reminding them that they, in Christ, that they are all one, part of one body, part of Christ himself, a new creation where the things that divide us melt away. Now, let's suppose for a moment that halfway across the tightrope, the man on Blondin's back says, you know what? I really don't trust you anymore. Please go ahead and put me down because I think I'm gonna walk the rest of the way on my own. Everyone would have thought that this person had absolutely lost their mind. This is the exact reaction that the Apostle Paul had on hearing that his beloved Galatians were still thinking that their sense of belonging uh, to this newly forming Jesus-following community was based on following the law of Judaism. Paul thought that they had lost their minds. The Galatians had begun with faith in Jesus. They had trusted that their faith in Jesus was not only their salvation, but also their badge of belonging. It was their faith in Christ that enabled them to belong to this Jesus-centered community that was erasing racial, ethnic, and gender divisions. And it was dismantling the tiers of hierarchy in the church that had been formed there. But all of a sudden, while out out in the middle of the treacherous tightrope walk, 
hundreds of feet above the raging falls, while tenuously clinging to their faith in Jesus, they decided that maybe faith in Christ wasn't enough. Maybe there was more that they needed to do. Maybe they needed to be circumcised. Maybe they needed to become Jewish first in order to belong. Maybe they needed to follow the letter of the law. And the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians what everyone would have been saying to that poor guy who all of a sudden lost his faith in Blondin and wanted to walk the tightrope on his own. Have you lost your mind? Why are you so foolish? You had everything you needed, and now you want to go backwards on the tightrope on your own. Here is the story from Galatians 3, 1 to 9, and 23 through 29. Paul writes this, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see those who believe are descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believes. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So it sounds complicated when we read Paul, which is why we started with a fun story. Because <laughs> it is complicated, but it's not that complicated. Paul felt that the Galatians were climbing off the back of the one who had brought them to safety. He's concerned with the question as to who is the true Israel or who belongs to the family. To do this, Paul takes them on a journey back to the founder, Abraham, who had responded to God in faith. And in this covenant that God made with Abraham, God had promised 
to open the door to the whole world and thereby redefining the people of God and not in terms of ethnicity, but in terms of faith in Jesus. He's saying that if you have faith in Jesus, then you are already a child of Abraham, an adopted daughter or son in the family of God, and part of the true Israel because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Now, many people have wrongly interpreted Paul as saying that the Jewish law is therefore worthless and irrelevant. Not so, friends. The law is not bad. In fact, it's good. God had commanded the Israelites to keep it because it was helpful. But Paul adds, for a time. Paul didn't want Christians then or today to throw out the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. But Paul does want us to transition from what he might say is the from the incomplete to the complete. And he likens the law to, in more modern words, we could use the word babysitter. The Greek word that Paul uses is custodian, or I like babysitter better. The law was a guide, a protector, but it was far from perfect. And with the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, Paul says that Israel is now all grown up. They no longer need the babysitter. No matter what the person's background, faith is the sign that they belong. Faith is the sign that they are members of the family. Now that they were all grown up and had faith in Christ, he doesn't want them to go back to being a child. So the question is, what is it that he considers childish? What is going backwards to the Apostle Paul? And the answer is that a return to the law that creates divisions, tears, hierarchies of who's in and who's out. To do that is to go backwards. It's to revert back to the law, to be going in the wrong direction. The Galatians were actually standing in the way. They were closing the doors to Gentile Christians that God, through Jesus, had already flung wide open. And in the great climax of the book of Galatians, and possibly one of the most radical statements in our entire New Testament, Paul says that clothed in Christ, we are to function not as autonomous individuals along party lines or racial ethnic lines or gender lines or any other divisions that make for a poor witness in the world. We are transformed as persons in communion with each other because of our communion in Jesus. Paul is the champion for the cause of unity in the church. And like the volunteer who willingly climbed onto the back of the great Blondin, we Jesus people are no longer ourselves. Mind, body, soul, we are one with each other because of our communion with Christ. This is what he's trying to remind these Galatian Christians of. But before we finish today, we have to make sure that we don't fall into what I'm going to call today the Stephen Colbert trap, all right? If anyone has ever watched his old show, The Colbert Report, this is a famous thing. He used to do this all the time. He would joke all the time he would say that he was colorblind, 
anyone who knows Stephen Colbert has heard him say this, that everyone looked exactly the same to him, that he's always joking around, but he said it with a pretty deadpan with a straight face. He would say that he's so above it all that he didn't even notice the distinctions between different people. It, the guy's a crack up, all right? But what we're illustrating here is this unity trap that we do need to be careful of. Paul doesn't say that God obliterated our distinctions or our diversity. Far from it. The unity of the church refers to the union of the people of God in all their various distinctives and expressions bound to God and to one another by faith in Jesus Christ. So you might think about Paul's great metaphor. He uses the metaphor of the body, one body with many different parts, all working together. Our faith in Jesus doesn't wipe out what makes us who God made us to be. God made us all different. God made us who we are. And that diversity is to be celebrated, not eliminated. Our differences don't vanish, but here are a few things that I believe Paul is saying do vanish and that Jesus has already done away with. The barriers that we erect, the walls that we build to divide us, the hostility, the sexism, the heterosexism, the racism, the sense of superiority and inferiority, the hierarchies, the castes that we create, all the things that we use to divide, like drive this wedge between us. These are the things that Paul says God has already destroyed. We have to acknowledge what a poor job we have done as the church with this. That Paul's vision of unity rarely matches up with our reality. We confess, sadly, that it has often been us followers of Jesus who continue to resurrect the very things that God has already taken down. We may have to admit, like these Galatians, right? We may have to admit that we have more in common with the Galatians than we might care to admit. We confess for the ways in which we get it wrong. We repent for the ways in which we work against what God has already done and is currently doing to climb off the back of Jesus. In the middle of the tightrope walk, shows a lack of trust, a lack of faith that reminds us that maybe we aren't quite as grown up as we might like to believe. Well, in this season of very serious division, we've been talking about this all along, and this whole book of Galatians is about this topic. It's very uh, timely that we happen to be in this book in this time. In this season of division that we find ourselves in, the call of the church is to live out Paul's radical character uh, of unity in Christ. We cling to Jesus and to one another, like that volunteer clung to Blondin as he crossed Niagara Falls. And we cling by one thing only, faith 
and nothing else. And we trust that Jesus will get us safely across together. Amen.